Oh my god. There are just so many facets to this film. It is so multifaceted. There are facets coming from the right and from the left and from beneath you or above you. I don't know. Direction is all fucked around in, in this movie. It's, it's all over the place. Nobody knows which way is up and down. I think we got to go down to go up. It's, it's confusing, but there's facets to be found no matter which way you go. Uh, lots of facets and some faucets. There's some faucets in this film too. Faucet, facet. Yeah. Uh, hi there. So, uh, if you're new to this podcast, uh, this first five minute section is what I refer to as the TLWL, which is the too long won't listen. Now, if you've made it this far, you're doing pretty good, but, uh, essentially I just take a few minutes to tell you whether or not this movie is worth your time uh, without any spoilers. Uh, and then at the end, I give a musical rec- recommendation. So, uh, yeah, uh, this movie, it's its great to, to the general audience. I think, like, like I was saying about facets and faucets, its it, it goes in all, all different directions. There's, um, there's a lot of melodrama, uh, which on your first view through, um, you'll probably enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but on your second view through, you'll find it very campy and uh, charmingly so. Um, yeah, I, I found this being one of my first times like actively watching the movie. Like I've seen it in passing on commercials and stuff, and I've seen the remake uh, when I was a little kid. But uh, this being one of the times that I actually sat down and focused, I actually uh, thoroughly enjoyed this. The, the movie is about an hour and 50 minutes long, and I was a tent for the entire thing. So... Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It'll definitely kill two hours of your life, and uh, you won't feel like you wasted them. And the general response to this movie, uh, it being a cult classic, uh, which uh, is generally the, mo- the kind of movies that I cover, um, yeah, there's, there's a whole cult following for this one. There's a, a group of people that get together for, uh, I, I guess, what you call like a con. It's like Comic Con, but like strictly for the poseidon adventure there's people that get dressed up like uh characters from the 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 movie and they all hang out and they they do announcements and they the the cast shows up uh it looks like a pretty good time i I can't say it's my uh, like what something i would go to but i did enjoy the film uh, and i would definitely rewatch this film very good rewatchability too uh probably a good good film for some drinking games too uh if uh if in your you're up to to drinking which, why wouldn't you be? It's quarantine. I, we're all fucking drunk half the time. Oh my god, I'm so drunk right now. I'm actually not drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking ginger ale. I'm trying to, you know, keep off the sauce. But, uh, anyway, yeah, it's a good film. Uh, my co-host for this episode, his name is Jeremy Congiano. Uh, he's got a photography business, so I think he specializes in weddings. So if you, uh, if you want some wedding photos, then uh, I, I guess uh, Instagram at uh, Jeremy Congiano. Uh, I'll put his name in the description of the episode, so you can look it up if you actually want to search uh, his stuff. Follow him on Instagram, do whatever. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a super cool dude. Uh, I enjoyed his company, and he had some great input on this uh, on this this movie. So uh, it was actually his suggestion too. So that's how I ran into the Poseidon adventure. Um, not that I wouldn't have eventually run into it. It's, it's a classic, you know? Um, yeah. So as far as musical recommendations go, 
Oh my God. There are so many different uh, artists that I love uh, releasing new music. And I think it's something about the year 2020 where there's just, there's something in the air where creative people want to fucking just say something about it. But you got five iron frenzy releasing a new album. You've got uh, the Deftones. Um, you've got smash and pumpkins are, are releasing a new one, which they released an episode, uh, sorry, a, uh, an album recently, but it's weird for them to do it so soon to release new content so soon so uh, i'm pretty excited but uh the number one people you gotta listen to is a band called foxy shazam they are fucking excellent uh i've been listening to them since like like middle school but they were they broke up before i could actually see them live so i'm excited for when this all gets out i can go see them uh their singer eric nally did a song with uh macklemore um downtown uh so that's how the general public might know him but uh yeah that's the the foxy shazam is fantastic you should give him a listen and uh more importantly you should arrest the cops that killed brianna taylor seriously no like honest like honestly i don't i don't really understand how that's like a social media tagline still and we're just saying it casually like oh you know ru- you know bump elbows down at the store and say oh you know and arrest the cops to kill Breonna Taylor it's not like Jeffrey Epstein's suicide it's it's not the same thing we can't just tag it whenever we feel like it just as a as a clever you know comeback to uh, everybody's social awareness that Jeffrey Epstein definitely fucking screwed little kids you know in a large ring it's not funny it's not cool arrest the cops that killed brianna taylor it's it, like it's that fucking simple she they she they entered her house they shot her they killed her and then they're arresting her boyfriend for self-defense which is literally what everybody with gun rights fucking complains about ah shit we'll say it one more time arrest the cops that killed brianna taylor yeah, there you go. All right. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the weekend. Are you ready for a start? I guess I'm ready. I'm ready as ever. You ready? Ready to go? Mm-hmm. Okay, three, two. Well, no, I already started. It's I know. Started. I saw you. I see the big red button. Okay. Uh. All right. Here comes the intro. My name is Kyle. I'm Jeremy. And this is... Not film school. Hey, yeah, cool. Sweet. I got it right the, the first time. Show. All right. Um, yeah. So we we watched a movie. We did uh, watch per, a movie. Per, per Jeremy's suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell him tell him how it is. Tell him what it what it is. What it be. So this is we watched the Poseidon Adventure. Um, not the remake. The original 1972 Irwin Allen disaster film, which was really the beginning of the disaster film genre. Um. For those of you who are not kind of familiar with that kind of genre, it's, you know, big star-studded cast, lots of action, and using a disaster as a plot-driven device. Truth. Yeah, it was pretty great. I liked it. Was it was pretty good. Actually, yeah. I, I, I had seen this before, definitely, like, on TV mm-hmm. as, like, a passing, like, flicking through the channels, but uh, this is the first time I ever, like, sat down and consciously watched it, and, uh, yeah, it's- I liked it definitely a different breed of the movie th- that you would get in the theaters nowadays so yeah. it, it you can see where it's aged a little bit and i think we should definitely touch upon a couple of those pieces as we talk through the movie but i love these style of the films you know this spawned like towering inferno um it uh what was the other one airport that's another big one 
in this genre and then you know also like kind of the revival of this genre in the 1990s with twister jurassic jurassic park uh titanic being the probably the one of the most prominent and well-known uh disaster driven movies um but yeah i love these types of movies and let's not forget airplane Oh yes, well, yeah. Well, airplane—that's a great. That's a great. On the opposite side of the spectrum. That's those types of movies that you know take on this genre and make fun of it. You know, airplane yeah. is is making fun of. Oops, sorry about that. Uh, I no, should no silence my phone. Um, yeah, I love Air, Air, airplane. That's another movie we should watch at some time and talk about that. As far as like those movies that are satirical and make fun of this type of genre. The weird thing is that investigating this movie and like looking into the background, there's a lot of people that see it as straight up camp, like it's super campy. So people will watch this whole through this whole film through and they'll laugh the entire time. So it's weird because Airplane is like a satire of disaster Mm -hmm. films and disaster films are so popular because like the over the top melodrama Mm -hmm. that it is. Well, it definitely it, it comes from that like style of acting that we don't see anymore where those very theatrical, dramatic acting where you see, this is in like the pre-special effects, pre-CGI era, where people's reactions and people's, you know, how they acted was how, how, how they invoked emotion in those particular scenes. So a lot of those actors that came from the theater went over into film and they you know in theater you don't have special effects you have to use your emotions you have to use your your acting prowess to to convey 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 what's going on in that particular scene um, so most of these people were theater theater dorks i don't know specifically like these people but i know that that was like a style of acting that you see a lot pre- like prevalent you know all the way up into the 70s it starts going away i'd say in the late 70s early 80s but you, any film that predates the '80s, you're going to see it, and you know the, the uh, from the '20s, '30s, '40s, '50s, '60s, eight, it, uh, all the way up. That was definitely yeah, the, the style of acting. I, I think uh, one good example uh, of like the method of acting that you're talking about is like the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. How it's like a literal, just it's, it's a dramatization. It's kind of like when you're reading a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they always write like sentences if you were to read it out loud it just comes off as like mm-hmm. you know but they have to be expressive in a different way with dialogue to to it, make it more effective it's definitely like when i think of campy like i think of like scenes where you know like the girl or one of the female actors is like ah! and then she's like you know falling into the male's arms and it's like you know male dominant leads and you know f- you know the male the male are driving the 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 plot and like but the, the females are along for the ride so it's very that you know, was very evident in this movie um, honestly because everybody paired up what what was that everybody paired up in this movie like Everyone immediately if there was a girl on screen she'd immediately be like preacher you know like, oh yeah can we just talk about how like the 17 year old girl had a you know crush on gene hackman who's 42 in the film like eight, she was 18 18 so it was a sue let me look at her name. Yeah, I'm gonna Sue... pull up. I wanted to pull up the Pamela IMD. Sue Martin. Yes, is her name. But yeah, no, she was uh, like I looked it up, and uh, and she she was 18 because I saw her. I was like, oh, she's she's pretty, you know. Yeah, there's. Uh, and then Gene Hackman comes along, and she's like, Gene Hackman, and I was like, hold up, hold the fuck up. Well, what's the you scene? Are, the scene where you are sold. Where they're at the um, they're at the New Year's party, and she's with her date. And he's like talking to her like 
do you want to dance but she's having like that moment and it's like closing in on gene hackman it's so yeah. awkward and i'm like and i was i swore to god that before the movie was over that they were gonna kiss and i was gonna fucking vomit but i'm surprised I, sorry yeah, go ahead i'm surprised they didn't i i don't know the way they built it up yeah they te- definitely built it up and i hadn't seen the movie probably like all the way through probably in a good two or five years and i couldn't remember if they kissed or not and like i was in the same boat i'm like did they kiss do they not kiss like i was like kind of ho- like i was kind of hoping for it i was like that's would make the movie the the weirdest thing ever if they did <laughs> yeah and she even talks about it in, in like when they did like the we, we both watched the behind the scenes thing and she talks about it like how, like openly yeah that was a that was a plot device in the movie yep yeah, it she was like, not yeah, get away with that know, in today's world. Well, you mean you can get on him, like crushing on him, but and she mm-hmm. was she was technically over eighteen, so like as far as like legal taboo, oh yeah, that's one thing. But but yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of the whole time I was watching, I was like, oh, no, please. And every he was touching her face. Everybody was touching her face. Mm-hmm. Everybody was touching some lady's face. <laughs> I know, like her. They're all like, grabbing their faces and like looking at them. You know, like Gene Hackman and I. I <laughs> I don't know if this is like just me like watching the film, but like I swear like people had less and less clothes by the time they like escaped the film. Like I don't know if that's just me. Like I feel like their clothes just kept on getting more tattered and more tattered, and like everyone was just naked by the end of the film. Yeah, well, the funny thing is that uh, through production, they kept on like they would wear the same uniform, mm-hmm. and then the uniform would get like shrunk because they were constantly wet. So they would get like you know a new uniform, and then it would shrink, and then it would get a new uniform, and then it would shrink. But mm-hmm. all their clothes were just, like shrinking on them because they were wet constantly during the filming of the movie. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know. Maybe there's weight water. <laughs> Maybe pretty there's star-studded cast um, as far as like movies go back then. Like this is like an a- A-list cast that they had. Do you want to run through it, or I don't know if that like I don't know what you're. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the thing is that most of these people, uh, I would know them from uh, this movie, you know, mm-hmm. like or movies, you know, proceed. Sorry, not proceeding, but after this movie. So for me, I feel like this movie is like one of the biggest on their their roster. So right. before this, they might have been big for something, but now they're big for this, you know. Right. I think like the three big names that come to mind are um, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine. And then who was what was his name? The captain. I'm totally blanking on him. Um, he's a big actor. I'm like looking at um, the IMDb. I was thinking Shelley Winters. Was Shelley the, Winters, uh, big name. Um, and I like I like Red Button's name, but I didn't know him from anything. Le- oh, Leslie, and there's the Leslie the, Nielsen. He was the captain. What, who was the uh, fucking the grandfather in uh, Willy Wonka? Oh Shop yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in the film. Um, what's his name? I can't I can't remember. That's the that's the, the catch up with all these older films. Right. Like still great movies, but when I was a kid and watching them, I, I never really gave a shit about who Jack the Al- I was just like, Albertson. Yeah, you're, you're the preacher. Jack Albertson. Jack Albertson. He was the grandfather yeah, yeah, yeah. in uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yep. Um Yeah. Very interesting cast. Very interesting cast. Yeah, Shelly Winters, like this was one of her like she was like a method actor. I was reading about that, like how she learned to scuba dive for this film. Yeah, yeah, she learned. Uh, like I think it was Olympic level, or somebody who was involved with the Olympics was training her to swim so that she could mm-hmm. perfectly act out that scene. But yeah, uh, support. Oh wow, one of my first notes is suppositories. Mm-hmm. That was a funny joke. Like that was probably like pretty like 
that whole scene was probably pretty racy for the time. That that was risque. It's well, I mean, did I? No, okay, sorry. I was in a mic the other day, and somebody was talking about suppositories uh, with long nails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know why I didn't make the connection because I watched this movie before going to that mic. But either mm-hmm. way, yeah, suppositories. There's uh, they mention suppositories. Have you ever just had like a suppository? The... Yeah, like just the subtleness of the nurse, just like you know. You skipped my question. What was the question? Sorry. Have you ever had a suppository? Uh, I don't know did, if I feel comfortable did, did, saying that. Did you ever put this. a pill in your butt? I have not had to okay, put a pill so in my butt. Okay, that's yeah. Uh, <laughs> I haven't either. I was thinking that when they met, they, I was like, "Have I ever like can I can I empathize with this part of the film, this suppository quip?" And I, I mean, couldn't. maybe they fell out of style. Like, I mean, this is what 1972, so like, like I feel like maybe medical technology has come a long way, and like you know, they probably realized <laughs> you know sticking things up your butt is probably like you know it's probably a better way to do do that anymore (laughs) like you could just imagine like the government like gives like a 30 million dollar grant like figure out how not to stick it up your butt (laughs) all the funding (laughs) like there's just government funding like don't we can't stick it up our butt anymore yeah on a different note uh taking your temperature is most accurate when you're taking it through your through your butt yes that's why they have children do it like babies but i feel like we're getting very sidetracked maybe we should get back in the movie (laughs) It's 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 relevant. It, it is I don't tough. Know. It I feel, okay. One of the things that this movie stands out for uh, in its its legacy is specifically the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of shit that people say that's just ridiculous uh, throughout the movie. So I don't know. It's the suppositories. It, it it matters. It's in the in the grand scheme of the Poseidon adventure, mm-hmm. suppositories matter. Uh, <laughs> So what's your first note? Uh, what was my first note? Um, the classic intro. Like, I just, like, write in, like, m- nowadays, like, you watch a movie, and you, I feel like they have to name 25 different companies before you actually even get to the actual movie. This movie, like, boom, we're, we, like, you hit play, and you're right into it, you know? I thought the same thing. That was, it was, like, the second you hit play, you're literally, like, it's a sky view of the ship. And then, like, I think, like, there's a, a second of, like, like oh the the survivors of the ship you know this is their story like, mm-hmm. it's named like twelve of them or something or like was right. there like five so How many survived also a little I think it was like six or something like that yeah. uh, not yeah. to get not to spoil it for anyone um, but so also I want to give a little more backstory on this so this movie is based on a book um, I am totally being an idiot right now and blanking on the guy who wrote the book but the origin of this so i don't know if you noticed so the model of the ship and how all the sets were filmed were based off of the rms queen mary which is an actual ship that is Mm -hmm. docked in long beach permanently as a hotel um i think it was like a ship between like 1930 something and 1960 something and long story short the author of the book that this is based on was on a like a, a voyage of the queen mary where basically the ship itself pretty much rolled flat on its side, like almost capsized, and like that's mm-hmm. what inspired him to write that book, which then obviously inspired the movie by Rowan Allen. Yeah. And then that's why they used the ship as a model in the movie, kind of like, you know, those connections. Yeah, like a homage. Mm-hmm. And then what's also like just even like a quick homage, like I don't, I don't want to talk too, too much because there were two remakes of this movie. But the one with uh, Kurt Russell, that if you ever do want to watch it, the model of the ship that they used in that movie was actually modeled off of the Queen Mary 2, which is like an, like another ship. So, like, they kind of paid homage to that as well, like the modern when, ship. When you say Kurt Russell, which one was he in? 
So he was in Poseidon, which I believe came out in like 2005 or something like that. Um, yeah. Very can- even worsely can like totally overly CGI, and that's what makes this movie so great. Is there's no CGI whatsoever in this film. That's real yeah, fire. I that's think- real water that you're seeing. Some people were saying that uh, part part of the reason that the new Poseidon wasn't as enjoyable was because it wasn't as campy. Like mm-hmm. the camp improved this movie. This one was delightfully campy. I could rewatch this movie. Oh yeah, I love this movie. It's become as one of those first movies that kind of like became like a cult a cult classic. Um, yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, it's literally a cult classic. But like, if this was ever like you know, if we ever get back to the point where we can watch movies in theaters and it's like showing at like the Coolidge Corner Theater and like. Uh, I would go see it. I'd Tyler's in Coolidge Corner yeah. Theater. Say what? Coolidge Corner Theater in yeah. Boston. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, one of the independent uh, <laughs> theaters in Boston. Shout out to them. So. They have amazing popcorn. They're great, yeah. They they show a whole lot of different things. I saw The Room for the first time there. Mm-hmm. We threw spoons at a screen, and it was, it was pretty cool. Did mm-hmm. you catch that uh, the evil businessman was the cause of all of their problems? Yes, very, uh, very cliche. Like, run it full ahead. Like, put, the, like, you know, we're too top. Captain's <laughs> like, like, I can't do. I won't do it. I've got too much, you know, care for my my passengers and their safety. And the businessman's like, I paid for this ship, so you're gonna do it anyway. And then he mm-hmm. has to, and then they they fucking capsize. Because okay, so another like weird subtext is this is 1973, 72. But technically, like filming in seventy one, so they wrote the script in like seventy one or seventy. Yeah. Um, and there was so many anti-authority vibes in this film that are mm-hmm. definitely a product of the time, where mm-hmm. pretty much the whole fucking world was like on fire. There's civil rights, uh, Vietnam you know, shit War. blowing up. Everybody's getting fucking killed. Like Kennedy gets killed a year after this. No, right? he no, got no, killed in nineteen sixty three. Sixty three. Yeah. So he got killed, you know, before this, and the uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, Malcolm X, all those people there, they're, they're 19, like straight up yeah, dying. Yeah, 1968. So everybody's just pissed off, and everybody knows that like they're Nixon's they're starting in to office, get like, like Watergate's probably happening. Like yeah, they're getting fucking lied to, and so you get movies like this, which are pretty much like literally the whole the, the preacher half the time mm-hmm. is yelling at members of the ship, saying like "fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about, we're gonna mm-hmm. go," and then and then the preacher saves everybody. Well, everybody who listened to the rules dies. Mm-hmm. It's the whole thing. It's kind of like uh, that scene mm-hmm. when. The, the the glass breaks and then the water floods after they climb up the, the tree. Mm-hmm. So they all, like, all the, the whole cast and crew of the movie, the special people, they climb up the tree and then they get to safety. And then immediately after they get up there, you know, he turns around, he goes like, does anybody else want to come? Nobody else wants to come? And then immediately... <laughs> it starts flooding. Water starts flooding. So it's kind of like, okay, like, immediately cause and effect. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't listen... Sorry, you didn't break the rules, so now you fucking die. So, right. yeah, that's I what I wrote later on was because uh, I kept on getting this, this anti-authority, anti-authority. Mm-hmm. I wrote, uh, if you turn a ship upside down mm-hmm. and then you put it on your head, it makes a mohawk because it's fucking punk like this movie. It's pretty this movie. It's just, yeah, yeah it's so much anti-authority. I loved it. And uh, and not not listening to, you know. Just people telling you what to do, and I don't know. There's a lot of, and I just couldn't not relate it to the time that it was, that it was established. That's an interesting observation that I never even thought of. Like, because movies are always like a byproduct of what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. Like yep. the kind of a subtext and representation of you know what people are going through. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I like thinking about that presently because it's easy to look back at the 70s mm-hmm. 
and be like, well, based on the world events, that's probably what people are feeling. But I like watching movies like released now and being like, why is this happening? You know? Right. But yeah. Like you I was can even like, do a little bit like, like if you think about like, you know, the 1990s, you know, dot com bubble, everything's going man versus machine and Titanic comes out, which is a prime example of man versus machine and man yeah. failing or, you know, machine well, versus machine mother, na- mother nature. And, yeah. Or, and or like, relying on machines. So you got this big, huge fucking boat and you're like, yeah, like, nothing will happen. That thing's a tank. Right. And that's the same thing like dot com bubble. Like, oh, the, the economy's great. You know, the internet just opened up. Everything's going to be great. And boom, it, it bursts, you know, just as that movie mm-hmm. comes out. So it's like a prime example. But the weird part is that these movies happen during the time frame of the idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, somebody had to write produce find funding do the filming all that shit and then it generally ends up being released at the time of the really fucked up shit mm. that it pertains to so, so I, is that a weird... is that a conscious decision or is that a subconscious based on people's perceptions and realities and what everything what they're going what's going through their head and as they're writing it and what they're feeling at the time makes you think i don't know it mm-hmm. could, could be it's just really coincidental and yeah was the classic intro also your first thing, or did you have something else? Well, the first thing that I wrote was, if you were a ship, what kind of ship would you be? Oh, okay. Which is uh, a, a quote from a, a Fratelli's song. Are you asking me what I kind do, of boat uh, I'd be? Yeah, well, well, what ship would you be? I feel like I'd be like a little speedboat, like something quick on the water. Like I'm always going way too fast for my own good. I'd be a starship. Starship, like Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, I, I that's my my way out of the joke because I don't know very many boats. Like mm-hmm. I know yachts and I know sailboats and I know yeah. Um, I don't scooters. think I'm too. I'm not posh enough to be a yacht. Mm, I'm not into... posh enough to be a boat guy. Who the fuck has the time for boats anymore? No, nope. except well, for you know, you, know the, you know the saying goes. You know boats. what's the two best days of of, of owning a boat? The day you, you buy it and the, the day you sell it. it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for for us in our situation, like we, the majority of people do not need to, like, not. You can have a boat, but you just like you shouldn't know everything about boats. I mean, you can. I like. I feel like I'm gatekeeping. I feel bad about it, but I feel like I'm t- I'm giving somebody an inconvenient truth. You yes. know? No, that's true. I still have uh, PTSD for going on Eric's boat <laughs> on Fourth of July. I thought we were gonna I, sink. Yeah, I swear I to God, we time. were gonna sink. <laughs> yeah, one one engine was was down. One engine was down. The bilge was like filling up with water. Yeah, this is a friend's boat, by the way, for the podcast listeners. And but, um, it was like a seventies boat, so it still had its like it, it was the SS Sugar Shack. It was like yeah, he owns. Uh, Eric owns a uh, boat detailing business, like Shout a, out to a Eric. boat repair business up in Gloucester, Mass. Uh, yeah, Eric Jenny. You can actually look him up, and if you own a boat, he, he can help you detail it. And I actually worked for him a while uh, on boats, and I wanted to get all this boat information while I was scrubbing down these boats and, like, you know, repairing the gel code. And mm-hmm. for, for the life of me, I can't. Like, I remember I only worked on yachts. They were all fucking yachts. They were, like, yeah, fishing. Nice boats. Like, yeah, all, all giant boats that somebody can go out and they, they can fish in it or whatever, but they were all luxury boats, mm-hmm. so I didn't really learn that much at all. I know what an aft deck is. Woo. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. The aft, and the yeah, bow. the bow and the stern. The stern, the, but poop, the poop deck. Is the as poop, far as like, is, makes, is the poop deck where you uh, do the suppository? We we did that a few times. Yeah. 
me and Eric. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't like, I, none of like the idea that I know, like all these different kinds of boats. I just, mm-hmm. it's just not my cup of tea. I don't know. Yeah. But, it's, uh, it's so, so you'd be a speedboat, huh? Speedboat. Skimming atop the water. Yeah. People don't like speedboats because their, their wakes are huge. So if you go buy like a bunch of boats, like you're going to make those boats like go super rocky. Yeah. And they're always speeding in the way and stuff mm-hmm. and all that. Eric, actually, funny enough, used to take a, a small Zodiac boat, like one of those little blow-ups, and he'd okay. take these massive fucking engines, or sorry, these massive motors, and then put it on this little Zodiac tugboat. And see how like, fast it could go. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think he got stopped by a, a harbor master at one point. Eh. Yeah, anyway. Uh, do, do, do. Cop and prostitute. The cop and the prostitute. Ernest Borgnine and um, and uh, Stella Stevens, Linda Rogo and Mike Rogo. I Just... wish I knew if that was a plot in the book. And now I want to read the book. You know, it's one of those things that, like you know. Well, I would only I like not particularly because I I think I would love the book, but just to see like the discrepancies between the two. Mm-hmm. Because in this, I feel like it was really just kind of a like thrown out there like well i'm a cop i'm a prostitute are we a wacky couple they were the funniest then, couple like the shit that came out of their mouths was like i hadn't watched it in so long and i thought it was so funny the things that they were saying they were they were like a grand grandparent couple mm-hmm. like you go you know or at least my grandparents you go to you know dinner and then your grandparents are ragging on each other mm-hmm. but you know they love each other but they're still a little bit mean. Still you know? mean, but you know that they love it. Like, I definitely think, like, uh, Linda's character, Ms. Mrs. Rogo, they never called them by their, like, first names. Everyone always – that was another thing I noticed is nobody – everyone called each other by, you know, Mr. Rogo, Mrs. Rogo, uh, Mr. Martin. Like, everyone except the kids always – it was, like, the last names. Like, you're in a, like – you're in a – life or death situation and you're still being very proper like uh oh, mr rogo which way should we escape the ship like you know different time different time I don't know. but anyways i think that linda's her her whole character was to ground miss like ernest's character i think you know because he was this tough brash bronze but like it it showed the other side of his character I think she was there to drive his character for like, and that's it. That gets back to the whole like, you know, character development of men versus females in this in this movie. Like, I truly believe that her whole character there was to drive his character. It was interesting because I mean, for a film that really didn't do much for its female cast at no. all, as far as like empowerment goes, um, she did have a, a good, powerful presence mm-hmm. for what it was worth you know like she wasn't taking anybody's shit i like yeah one of the favorite quotes that i saw repeated a few times in uh, about this movie is when uh somebody's like oh you got to take off your dress to climb up the, the the christmas tree and then uh the Ernest bordine or rogo or whatever it goes like you can't do that all oh, you're wearing is panties and then she's like well what else yeah, do what i else need, do I need? <laughs> she's like panties what else do i need and i'm like yeah. so that's a very like womanly empowerment like you know line right there yeah so they they took that the the whole prostitute thing they, they turned it to her the empowerment mm-hmm. and stuff but i did i did think that like there's a lot of dark realities that you face to prostitution mm-hmm. and stuff that they didn't really they were just kind of like yeah she's a prostitute ex-prostitute whatever you <laughs> yeah. know. and now they're married 
you know like and and then there's a there's a whole thing there where he pretty much kept arresting her and arresting her and arresting her until she married him that's a little how else was i supposed I to know. keep you off the streets yeah but that's that's kind of fucked up right yeah. like she's just you know, a sex worker trying to live her life and he's just like like maybe she would never marry him, and he just kept fucking up her life. Or I don't know. See, that's we're we're living in a time where sex workers are also. It takes a different context, mm-hmm. where like it's not like in the seventies. It's like the perspective is like somebody's living out of like a shabby apartment, mm-hmm. and they have like you know a pimp who's like, you know, loaning them out and stuff, and the pimp takes the majority of the profits, and then the person that's doing all the work isn't actually getting the money. So it's like a different perspective than to now. To now at at this point sex work is taken in a completely different turn where it's mostly moderated online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of sex workers are employed through the internet where they don't have to work through uh, people. And I mean, of course the, the sex industry has so many fucking flaws where sex workers do get um, for lack of a better phrase bone. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, just interesting with, uh, with her, like how they presented uh, like her character and then their dynamic and then they didn't really. Well, it's interesting. Like yeah. you bring that up because um, what's it called? To us, when we hear that, we see that through the lens of how we see it now. But like, think about being you know an eighteen, twenty something year old guy or girl, whatever, going to that movie. Like that was scandalous to hear hear that as part of a plot device back then. Oh yeah. Like yeah. to yep. us, we're like, oh yeah, the she's movie was probably whatever. PG at the time too. You know? But going like yeah. that, like, oh, you know, back then. Yeah. <gasps> Did you see her ankles? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God, the hot pants on, uh, oh, what's her name? Peggy Sue. Oh, yeah. What's her name, Peggy Sue? Pamela Sue Martin mm-hmm. with her with her red hot pants. Very red. Hot pants. Yeah, red hot pants to the entire film, you know. Hot pants. Uh, yeah, so I just kind of did a, a list. Like, uh, you got Shelby and, you know, the two kids without parents. Then you got, you know, a cop and prostitute, like real world, world, but real world people. And then, you know, you got the dutiful captain and the, I think here's another weird doozy, which I'll get to right afterwards. But then you get, uh, you know, a singer, a priest, and then like, you know, uh, a bachelor, like the bachelor dude, mm-hmm. um, who was, you know, accompanying the, the singer. Uh, it's just a bunch of really average, like middle like you can tell that they wrote the characters specifically to appeal to the general audience so they didn't pick anybody who was too too much authority because you had a preacher who is generally considered an authority figure but they also added that twist where he's a renegade priest oh you know action movie he's like an action movie priest and they even had the other priest like the the because he was like traveling and then there was like the priest that was on the ship and he was like kind of like the con- the, the contrasting priest. He was very conservative, yeah. you know. Yeah, and so yeah, the whole time you have this this again a dichotomy of like, like you know uh, you know people with authority or with power. Um, and the other funny thing is that guy who was telling everybody like, no, we have to stay the here person, and wait yeah. for them to come to us. Yeah, he was aggressive. Uh, he was, he was going like, on don't a power listen trip. to him. You don't know what you're talking well, he about. Was on a, yeah, he was on a power trip before that scene where they're all at the dinner table and the purser himself is like, yeah, the captain pretty much doesn't run the ship. I run the I ship. Run the, ship yeah. the purser. So they were, they were playing it up. Like, like this is a guy of authority and he's a fucking dick. Yeah. He's an idiot. <laughs> so yeah. Another subtlety of, of anti-authority vibes. But yeah, I, I thought that there was a lot of emphasis put on the fact that all of these uh, characterizations 
were like down to earth real world people who i mean uh, besides the fact that they're on this super nice fancy cruise mm-hmm. and this like luxurious ship they're all just pretty much like you know poor they're every it's people. interesting so like what does that say about the times as far as like you know the cost of living was different back then like you know you could do so much more and so much less salary back then so like a cop and an ex-prostitute is able to afford a you know what 10-day cruise from new york to athens you know and then they even talked about oh we're gonna go to italy too yeah well, I mean, people still do stuff like that. So it's, it is weird to think about because I've been on a cruise and it wasn't it wasn't as luxurious. But the cruise liners are made to look as luxurious as they can, but still be able to actually bring people on because not everybody, pretty much nobody can afford super expensive shit. So, yeah, it's and they have like travel packages to make it like more worth your while. So it's not that it's impossible, um, but I and I'm not sure if it does speak too much on the, the times, but um i did just you know make a note that they from a director's or from a casting standpoint or i guess from a writer's standpoint like you're gonna write the story to appeal to whoever's gonna buy the movie over and over again and go to the movie like to to repeat see it because you want people who are watching these people go through these horrible situations you want them to project oh i could do that you you know know. i'd be i'd be earnest or like i'd be the preacher Mm -hmm. telling everybody to you know get up or like i would definitely climb the Mm -hmm. christmas tree you know and you can't really like if they took that corporate mm-hmm. dick who made them go toward disaster, then they he wouldn't um, he wouldn't be a main character. Yeah, know? I agree. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to look through a so, lot of my notes. Uh, we've already like even gone through like um, um, Red Button's character, James Martin. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on him? Before I get into what my theory is. And I have this red buttons was he was the one with the holistic pill. Yeah, right? he was a single the, guy. Yeah, he's the same. The single guy, the perpetually single guy. Yeah, I think he was. I think yeah. he was a homosexual. Yeah, I, I definitely that, got there's that a vibe. whole sub theory on that. Yeah, um, I actually didn't. I didn't pick up on that because he kept on cozying up to the singer lady. He did, but they had like what's her face um mrs rosen um shelly winter's character was like he needs a woman he need-. like they kept pushed like there was like three or four scenes where she's like pushing the issue like why don't you have a woman or like they're on the deck and he's like running past them like he's lonely and it's like he's probably gay and it's like not okay to do that <laughs> in 1972 like not that it's not okay but like it wasn't as like you know pc as it is now or whatever yeah yeah, no, I actually, I, there's, so this being like one of my only conscious times watching this movie or like watching it from beginning mm-hmm. to end and like focusing on it, um, you know, there's different elements that I was picking up on mm-hmm. and that I was like looking for. Uh, so I don't know what to expect from this movie. And one of the subtleties that I didn't pick up on was Red Buttons uh, being gay. But looking through the, the, the legacy of the film and doing research afterwards, like that's something that is hotly debated hotly debated um, and i was even reading and this i didn't even know apparently like this movie is like like it's a cult icon in itself but then it's also like a cult icon within the gay community and i was like oh oh yeah they love it <laughs> and so i actually did a deep dive to try to figure out why because mm-hmm. i was like i watched the movie and it's not like i was like that was a perfectly straight movie i don't understand right you know um i was just like I was like, okay, yeah, let's figure this out. So I went to a deep dive. I went to, uh, you know, a few different, like I Googled, like, How's your search history? like Poseidon Adventure <laughs> gay? Gay with a question mark. And then, 
I went to a lot of websites and there was lots of dudes with belly buttons. There's I'm probably gonna get a lot of ads when I go on Facebook. <laughs> There's gonna be targeted ads of like like double dildos and stuff. But it's like um lots of hot bods. But I respect a hot bod. It's no problem for yeah. me. <laughs> so what what was the results of your of your of your research? What was, what was the right. reasons why this is a cult icon okay. in the gay community? So first and foremost, uh, from some of the forums that I went on, um, it was pretty evident that the main thing that they loved was the dialogue of the mm-hmm. film, where everything's fucking sad. It is very you know? sassy. like super sassy, and uh, that's something where like like I was watching the movie and then taking it in, like the water's rushing through the door, and I'm like, oh god, are they gonna get out? And like, who's gonna die? Like, are they gonna drown? So like, I was partially caught up in the actual intended adrenaline of the mm-hmm. film. Um, so I didn't pick up on the subtleties of the dialogue, but there were times where I was like, like that lady's being a dick. Oh yeah, you know? there's a scene like, where like they like, have to crawl through the thing and like the girl's like, I'm going first, so fat ass gets stuck. I'm not I'm not stuck behind yeah. her. I'm like, you're, Linda, you're being a bitch right now. Like, and then the fat lady's like, oh, you're probably No, she, sa- she, you says, she says, Manny, if I get stuck, push. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just the way she said it was so funny. <laughs> Push. But it's endearing. Yes. Like, it's really endearing. And clearly, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I think that that sass was one Very thing. Very quippy, yeah. And then, like, Ernest Borgnine and Gene Hackman just going back and forth, you know, Rogo, if I'm not back in 15 minutes. Yeah. His melodrama, too. Uh, Ernest's uh, melodrama. Like, when, uh, when his wife falls off and, and dies. And he's like, you took my only Linda. The thing I only ever loved in this life. And he goes on for a very oh, yeah. It's long like time. awkwardly anyway. long. Like you think he's done and then he continues on. Yeah. Um, so some comments uh, in one thing. Um, to ogle the gay heartthrob Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell? Who was the guy with the broken leg. Oh, was he? is he like, is he gay in real life? He was um, technically publicly closeted, but it was like after my Google search, I was like Roddy, Roddy McDowell, okay. And then they were like, yeah, like it was a pretty well-known like, thing, terribly kept secret. Yeah. Like I feel like that's a lot of like so, old Hollywood. Like definitely was like yeah, around the seventies, seventy, even like back in the day. Um, like you know, there's that shout out to that Netflix series um, Hollywood that talks a lot about that. Uh, really good um, miniseries if you're if you're looking for a miniseries, Kyle. You're kind of cutting out just a little bit. You're right. You are too. We'll give it a second. So yeah, you've got Ronnie McDowell, mm-hmm. uh, who is literally gay, and then you've got um, the red buttons, who represents a gay dude, mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah, you've got so just a, a whole lot of like you know the quips with the like, you know, well, well why like what well, underwear? What else do I need and stuff? Right. You've got a lot of empowerment in different places a and a lot of anti-authority mm-hmm. stuff. And I mean, specifically for the gay community at the oh, time, yeah. Stonewall like, and, like, and, and you know um, Harvey Harvey Milk in San Francisco, definitely. Yeah, well, the the idea that you need to disregard um, like authority or people mm-hmm. from authority and just do what you're gonna do to survive, it, it, yeah, makes sense. That Which they would is interesting. You bring that up because my thing about Red Button's character, James, James Mr. Martin is I actually see him as the true leader of the group, if you think about it. Not Ernest Borgnine, not Gene Hackman, because without James Martin, he doesn't get the singer to come. She stays with her dead brother. Um, 
he doesn't get her he doesn't get them out of that you know shaft that they're in when she gets stuck on the um on the ladder and then at the end when gene hackman you know sacrifices himself and then you know ernest borgnine's character is inconsolable you know red button's character like leans in on on mr rogo's uh, on ernest borgnine's character and and he's like he's like what do you what are you a coward like you're just gonna sit there and sulk like you know he got us all the way here now you know all you've done is complain the whole time you know you know man man the f up and get us out of here you know so he like calls him out so very anti-authoritative his character is represented in my mind representing the gay community and what's even funnier than I mean, not funny but more ironic is is red buttons uh, ernest borgnine's character mr rogo is a police officer which is what started the whole um stonewall riots thing where like cops went in and they were beating the shit out of gay people and here's like a supposedly gay character standing up to the police and calling them out for being a coward calling him a weenie yeah that's how i like that was like i looked that was like the first time i kind of like looked at it through that lens when i watched it the other night yeah no i didn't think of that that's cool yeah um yeah other quotes uh from from uh you know gay uh, chat rooms and stuff uh, a favorite of gay audiences for its uh, sometimes uh, risable dialogue. So yeah, what's risable? The, the, the quips. Uh, I I don't know. That's that's a word they use. Is that like R-I-S-I-B-L-E? a sexual innuendo? Like B L E. I think it's like a, a risable maybe risable dialogue. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's like they said that, and then I was like, that's their dialogue. So like context clues, mm. it means it means sass. Okay. In my opinion, so very. Sensitive. Um, somebody said it's love boat in hell. Uh, oh, where's there's this really good one that was essentially like, like it's a bunch of. Do I think a lot of the camp gay appeal, uh, the Poseidon adventure had came from watching an assortment of characters uh, and extras face adversity clad in fabulous evening gowns party clothes and trendy ensembles uh, okay yeah yes. nothing screams camp louder than a screaming extra losing her grip and plummeting to her death in 1972 Halston wrap dress <laughs> and dangling earrings that appealed to me even as uh, even then at the uh, as the 11 year old baby game <laughs> Then there's Shelly, but she was meant to be comic relief, and thus that's a given. However, when you add the highly touted, celebrated, and award and awarded special effects, which for today's standards uh, just add to a bunch of people running back and forth in front of a camera, uh, in front of a tilting camera, uh, and the infamous still image of a guy being electrocuted, what's not to love? Mm. Yeah. So that was, I think, the most succinct answer for uh, why the gay community loves this film. I love it. But... I'm not part of the gay community, but I love it. And I love yeah. it for all the same no, reasons, I'll, I'll too. I'll rewatch it, especially for yeah. for for the risible dialogue, and then making those connections. Mm-hmm. I love shit like that. But um, Yeah, funny thing about the special effects, uh, about the, the boats mm-hmm. uh, tilting, and, and when I was watching it, I was like, bro, they're just they're just turning the camera and then throwing themselves across the screen. Mm. I know, yeah. But apparently that's not entirely true. Apparently, at some points, um, they were using a forklift to raise parts of the right. set to actually uh, have people tumble in a realistic way. But I, I, when I was reading that, I was like, well, I mean, you kind of wasted some money there because you could have just 
it all looked like people were just turning the, the camera sideways and jumping into walls anyway. You could have just done that. Right, you could just turn the camera sideways. Um, did you catch the Titanic yeah. reference? Yeah, what's what's so, this Titanic? Very famous song about? that was, you know, probably it's kind of fallen into Titanic folklore, like, you know, but I'm pretty sure it was played. So like the band played on, you know, the the band on the Titanic as it was sinking played near near my god to thee. Very, you know, very sad and very somber violin, violinist uh, string song. Um, and there's a scene where they're like, it's like one of the very early scenes where they're like, they're already up the tree and they're like, and Gene Hackman's gone into the kitchen. And um, what's his face? Um, Manny Rosen, Mr. Rosen asks uh, Mr. Rogo, um, what happens if he doesn't come back and we're stuck here? And he's like, well, start, you know, better start singing Near My God to Thee. Oh, hey, nice. So which 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 direction is that reference? Like so was was this was that song being played in like like when was the original um There's Titanic been a bunch of them. Um, like not the and there's even a weird one that um one of the weirdest Titanic films side side note um that you can watch is the German production that um uh what's his face who was like the head of propaganda um during the not during the nazis um anyways so no basically the uh head of the head of the nazi party who was head of the propaganda very famous guy he was the one with the four kids and he killed them all before he killed himself and his wife um golly sounds like yeah, a nazi to me uh, that's a whole nother story that's not really but anyways they created an entire movie production of titanic during world war ii and it was basically how they blamed the sinking of the Titanic on the Jewish people, like the rich Jewish pa passengers. It's a fucked movie. Fuck. <laughs> like, I don't even think you can yeah. even find a copy or like you can only find like snippets of it online. But it's very weird. And it's very propaganda. And like the Germans are trying to win a war and lo like losing handedly. But they're like creating a whole production of Titanic in the middle of it. And that's like. It's very weird. Okay. I'll send you the information on it. But anyways, the like the well, most well-known Titanic film is the A Night to Remember in 1957, which is pretty much the basis of James Cameron's Titanic of 1997. There we go. You can actually watch a YouTube video of like scenes like side by side and it's pretty it's like the same exact thing. Gotcha. So when you say uh the 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 song uh Near My God to Thee that's like like they re-reference that yeah so there's titanic. a whole scene in it's titanic like where they start playing yeah. it and sorry no your um, your audio just lagged um, for a second but keep going it's yeah. a pretty pretty well known that that song was played while the song while the ship was sinking and then they 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 play it in the night to remember and then there's like a whole montage scene in the titanic 1997 movie where they play that song so like I think the reference in nineteen in the Poseidon Adventure in nineteen seventy two is like you know start playing near my God to the like you know you're on we're on we're on a ship. So it's an actual reference to the actual, actual reference, of the and also like the movie coming out in seventy two and the most prominent Titanic movie up until that point. Night to remember in nineteen fifty seven. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Shit. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't catch that. That's I'm not a history buff mm -hmm. uh, by any fucking means. And funny enough about the Titanic movie, I actually like this movie. Like I'm, I'm, I know mm -hmm. of it. I've seen clips of it, and I've watched parts of it, but I never sat down 
and watch the whole thing through. I It was one of the movies when I was a, a kid that I wasn't allowed to watch because, I don't know, my parents were like, it's violent or something. <laughs> yeah, and there's boobs, maybe, mm-hmm. or pictures of boobs. Like an artist is drawing a naked lady. Are there even any boobs? I don't boobs? think so. There's just very awkward tension between an 18-year-old and a 42-year-old man. My parents were always telling me, like, I'm not allowed to watch this. And like, there's not even any boobs, Mom, Dad. There's no boobs. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, next thing, blah, blah, blah. Lip tear. Grr. Renegade priest. Okay. So, something we could Survival talk about things. is... Um, soundtrack as a plot as a character so i feel like soundtrack yeah so like you don't i don't know if you see it as much anymore in this film but sound used to like drive the plot if that makes sense sound specifically used to drive the plot so not just the the music that they're playing yeah well the music that they are playing so you know how how the music um changes with the theme or like the pace of the movie I know the the morning after was was one thing, but I wasn't paying too close attention to um, the the music that was going mm-hmm. on while they were running through the shit. Well, the morning after is like just a great, you know, kind of you know dramatic irony built into a song, you know. Yeah, like there has to be a morning after. Too. Like I forget the the lyrics to the song, but there's got to be a morning after. <laughs> Something, something the whole night through. Yeah, that's, that's all you're gonna get out of me. There has to be a morning Singing. after. If we can hold on through the night, we have a chance to find the sunlight, the sunshine. Let's keep looking for the light. Oh, can't yeah, you see the yeah. morning after? It's waiting right, right outside the, right outside the storm. Why don't you? We cross the bridge together. Come some, come find a place safe and warm. That's the first two. Um, stanzas of the song yeah only with love can we climb it's not too late we're not while we're living let's put our hands out in time there has to be a morning after so when you say music as a character what are you talking about like the orchestra yeah the orchestra them running through okay yeah i one of my faults as somebody who is doing a fucking movie review podcast is that for some reason i, I generally mm-hmm. I don't make huge notes of uh, music that goes on uh, unless they particularly yeah. pick like a bunch of good songs. To... Like you still see music as a character and a plot dri- driven device today, but you don't, you only see it in like the, like Star Wars is a perfect example of like mm-hmm. as music that like trends, like you think of Star Wars and you can instantly start humming, you know, the soundtrack to it. You know, that, yeah, I think a Harry Potter. Harry, Harry Potter as well. That's another big one. Yeah. Like, I'm not even that big of a Harry Potter film, but I could, you know, belt out the, the theme to it, you know, no problem. Yeah. There are some, some shows and some uh, movies that um, they they cast, or not cast, but they hire Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch, mm-hmm. and their soundtrack skills are fucking amazing. So whenever they're part of a movie, I definitely think of, like, like a soundtrack is a major mm-hmm. uh, point. Like they for the HBO series Watchmen, mm-hmm. uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch did the audio for that, and I was watching it on one TV. But I have a five point one surround sound with a you know big old subwoofer, so I was watching it on that TV. And I was like, "Fuck that! I'm gonna watch it on this TV with the full sound system mm-hmm. because it's gonna sound way cooler, oh, yeah. especially when 
yeah, you've got the Nine Inch Nails like bass drum hitting and stuff to make the uh, the intense moments more intense. So they yeah, it's they don't do it much, but I think Atticus Finch and Trent Reznor are making a career right now on having very uh, good character to their their soundtrack work. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, no, I, I didn't really think of this film as having a strong. Um, like aside from the intro song, which again, Morning After won awards because it was so good, but otherwise I didn't really note the the soundtrack too much. But the set, I did hear a lot about the set having its own character, or the like. <laughs> pretty much each of these characters are like character character archetypes. Mm-hmm. So they're like cardboard cutouts of like like a policeman and like <laughs> like a city lady who was working, you know, you know, sex work, and a, a preacher mm-hmm. and. And these these children and so they're cardboard cutouts of people but the main some people were saying that the main character of the film was essentially like the ship and the set right. and the explosions which like, was like the what draws people the meticulous detail that they went through like so they did all the scenes of like when the ship was fine on the actual queen mary and then they used blueprints like the original blueprints of the ship to build the set so that they were accurate and they just yeah you know built them upside down yeah yeah they spent he spent a lot of time and i for the budget budgeting too Mm because he knew that like especially this being like a major star-studded film uh Mm -hmm. and like lots of explosions special effects nobody wanted a big budget film at this time he had to get two of his buddies to like finance the film yeah yeah there was this whole story about them like in a croquet match or something but either way he needed to he well he did um plot out all of the different um you know good costs and and aspects Mm -hmm. of the movie before even going into it so regardless of the the meticulous set detail as we saw it it was also like so planned out in advance Mm -hmm. and i really respect that that was really cool yeah and i mean not you know for i just wanted to do this kind of like real quick as far as like planning it out in like budget budget per se so this movie was 1971 so you know 4.7 million dollars if we're looking at that's you know a 30 million dollar budget today if that movie is made today and then it made 125 globally yeah so that comes out to i'm using an inflation calculator that's like 800 million almost 800 million dollars very successful film yeah. Film almost I mean, ma- shit, almost 125 million still sounds like a lot. Right. I mean, that's almost a billion dollars today. You know, you know that's yeah. that, you're putting that you know 800 million dollars. You're putting it in line with you know Marvel films. Like that's how successful this yeah. film was. Yeah, and you know being rewatched over and over, they definitely made a lot of money after mm-hmm. that too. So royalties, huh? Yeah. Oh, uh, one thing that I didn't mention that kind of caught me off guard when I was googling. Uh, different characters somebody made a quip about uh ernest borgnine being a, a gay icon and so i looked up you know ernest ernest borgnine a gay icon and funny enough he is definitely not uh, a gay icon he um in a weird way not like an official boycott but he boycotted um brokeback mountain really and he was vehemently against brokeback mountain as like a western that featured gay characters and he was like like i'm absolutely like not gonna watch this movie mm-hmm. and uh when it comes to awards like i'm not gonna vote for it and blah 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 and he was also famously yeah Interesting. Uh, ernest borgman was married to ellen merman uh or sorry ethel merman 
for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So Ethel Merman is uh, another. She is an actual gay icon. She is. She's. She's gay, and she. She's a spokesperson for the gay community. Um, Who's dead now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Died, but he was married to her for three weeks. Yep. And Ethel Merman has a chapter in her memoir dedicated to Bergman. Borgnine. And it's just one blank page. Borgnine. Borgnine? Borg- Borgnine? Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. It's just one blank page. That's hilarious. Yeah. She literally wrote nothing. <laughs> so, But I was thinking, like, how do you get married for three weeks? How do Vegas, you, baby. Like, how, you, how do you spend enough time with somebody to decide to get married... And then three weeks later, you're like, nah, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm only, I'm only 26. Maybe I'll get there. Um, I'll, I'll acquire an ex-wife that quickly. This is something we could talk about that's, you know, very not well known about this film is there is a very, there's a sequel to this film. Did you know that? Did I say it? Oh, yeah. I did know that. But I, I Googled it. So, of course, I know that. Um, total flop. Um, yeah, was actually had twice the budget of this film, had a $10 million budget and only made 2.1 mil. That's hilarious. But the funny thing is that there's actually a sequel book. Well, the sequel book was written like as a request by the, by the studio and Aaron Allen so they can make the film. No way. Okay. I didn't know that. And then the writer of the original book, he died while writing this book. So the book was never finished. So they like totally changed it okay yeah so that's they had to like fill in the whole fill in the puddle but i mean shit source material yeah whole shit source material but what's even funny is the the cast of the like the sequel was actually pretty good like you had michael kane Mm -hmm. sally fields forrest gump's mom um yeah and uh peter boyle there's this guy Slim Pickens that was part of it too. I forget where I know him from. Slim Pickens. Oh yeah, Slim Pickens. Um, what was he in? He was a. Oh okay, yeah, Doctor Strangelove. That's where yeah. I know him from. Yep. And then uh, Telly uh, Savalas, who played. Um, he was famous for. Uh, what was he famous for? He played the Bond. He played uh, Blofeld, in on Her Majesty's Service. I don't know that at all. Um, Bond, about Bond that. villain. <clears throat> ah, cool. Okay, yeah. Uh, way to save the day. Woo. There was a lady that. Oh yeah. What the fuck? Okay. All right. Um. So. Uh, Winters. What was her name? Sally Winters. Yep. She- Shelly she Winters. Dies. What the fuck? Shelly Winters. My bad. She. Uh, yeah. She died. What the fuck was with that? Yeah, she died in the film. Um. She saved Gene Hackman's character, and she she's like the last, second to last character to die before they get out. Yeah, I think, like, I I subconsciously had seen this. Maybe maybe I remembered it from the remake of the film or something because mm-hmm. I definitely saw the remake as a child in theaters, like IMAX mm-hmm. or some shit like that. Um, the one with and the, I remember like Kurt a character Russell, right? swims they made and two. dies. They've actually there was a there was a TV version and then there was a the 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 um the movie one. The the I I don't know. So that's the other thing about things that get remade and remade and remade mm-hmm. is that I uh, as a kid have this like 
like you know spot like i've seen some of this mm-hmm. and some of that so then all of them in my head are all mm-hmm. the poseidon adventure but all of them are like sub shoots of like other right. things that didn't exist well, the, in this the one, one in the and... movie theater was true to the original where it was like a tidal wave that capsized the ship on new year's and blah blah blah, blah. and then there was like a shitty tv film movie one that um had the guy from police academy in it um <laughs> anyways and that was like they changed the plot to like a terrorist bomb like capsized the ship it was like that was that was the tv I thought one that was number oh really i thought it was oh yeah no that was like after 9 11 right so like so they did this whole like terrorism like spokesman thing mm-hmm. trying to create a subplot there i don't know but either way getting back to shelly winters it yeah that like pissed me off that she like they like because she's so fat right first off she was not that fat no so she gained Just weight for the, she gained weight for the role she was a method actor. yeah like 35 pounds yeah. so so there's there's that but still even all that being considered she was not that fat and then they have her jump and then do the swimming and blah 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 and saves his life and she's like in the water, I'm a very skinny lady. Mm-hmm. And then she fucking dies. Yeah, she had a heart attack. I'm a very skinny lady. I know, but she wasn't like, what the fuck? She does one thing, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, like, logically, she's fat. So she does something ex- exerting, mm-hmm. and then she dies of a heart attack. Like, that's not logical at all, yeah. you fucking dicks. I mean, she's not from gorgeous. That. Like, I'm looking at a photo of her right now, like, from the 1930s. She's, like, an absolute dime. Yeah, circa 1950. When, like gorgeous and you know they they did her wrong in this film well i no no she won award they technically did her very right because mm-hmm. that one sacrifice she didn't really act really like at all in this film like she was very much a background well, no, character. She, got... she just had like all the comic relief right and then like she has that one heart-wrenching moment where she saves the guy and then mm-hmm. it's like a redemption moment where she's like finally i'll be useful for something right and then she swims and saves him and then fucking dies. Mm-hmm. I just thought that that was really lame, you know. Well, that that that. But I I guess. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, what are you? No, but say? I mean that gets back to the campiness because then, um, what's his face, Mister Rogo, swims through and he's like, "Thank you, Mrs. Rosenden," and he like grabs the arm. And he's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. Well, I was about to say you got that. A lot like, of guts, lady. Now that I'm shitting, like she was the most obvious, like tearjerker device oh yeah or just a character that was put in there for a single purpose like at the end of the film she saves mm-hmm. and then she's redeemed oh. but she's not the only one you got that little kid that had like like a schematic in his brain oh, of the ship all of a sudden it's only one inch thick in the propeller shaft yeah like but again like he just immediately knows all this stuff after one conversation or whatever shelly went i mean she did get nominated for the uh, best supporting actress for that for her role she did not win um but what's it called? She, again, she, another plot device for um, her husband's character. Because without her, he wouldn't have gone on. But you know, he had to you know live on for his grandson. Yeah. So, but like, so me watching this now, I'm like, oh well, that's a fucking plot device. That's lame. But I remember as a kid, this whole movie was, um, or maybe I'm thinking of again of of the Poseidon the remake. Mm-hmm. But I did remember, like, it was, like, saddening. Like, it is, it is like, a saddening thing your first time around seeing these people. And then, like, 
hoping like that people are going to make it and then they, they die or like maybe you didn't actually give a shit, but then they remind you that you give a shit about this person mm-hmm. and then they immediately kill them, which is a whole other thing in writing. But, and I think that's um, why like um, Mrs. Rogo's death, the last person to die was so, well, not second to last if you count Gene Hackman, but like her, it was like, yeah. she's so close to the end. It's like, you know, yeah. okay. We already lost, you know, um, you know, Shelly Winter's character. And now we're losing. We like, why do we have to lose any more people at this point? We're, we're so close to the end. Yeah, and the, the, there's probably another uh, subtext, especially because just after that, you've got Gene Hackman hanging from the thing and being like, "What the hell, God? Like, why do you need to take more?" Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's probably not even just an anti-authority vibe, but mm-hmm. like an anti-religious like vibe, just a little bit, just a tiny bit. Well, I saw that differently. So his whole character, you know, and the other priest said it, you know, he only speaks for the strong and he says that, you know, God will only help you if you help yourself, um, which I believe a little bit. And but I think what that scene shows is that he finally had to put, you know, put others before himself. He was in it, you know, he's trying to save these people, but he's also in it to save himself. And he finally sacrifices himself. He finally gives more to others than himself in that scene. Okay, I see that as as his personal character arc. You know, his character like arc develops in that over. moment where he realizes, you know, you have to help both the strong and the weak, and sometimes that requires the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, I think uh, him being a, a showboat himself mm-hmm. uh, during the entire movie, get, getting up and giving the speeches and being blah blah blah. I think uh, as an aftertaste of the movie, like like the gut feeling they're trying to get the audience to walk away with, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was probably pretty important that they killed him off because if not for that, then you could look back mm-hmm. in retrospect and then see him like delivering all these speeches and being like, yeah, well, he's just kind of like a... Like he's trying too hard to be a leader, mm-hmm. you know? And he doesn't actually like care he about these things. He talks so, yeah, the talk, but doesn't saying. walk the walk. So he had to walk the walk in that moment. Yeah preacher with a little bit of self-sacrifice i will say though that that did catch me off guard mm-hmm. i didn't remember that and you know he's hanging from the the pipe and i was like okay and now he's gonna swing over and try oh, yeah, to like, he could have swung over try to catch him or something absolutely could have swung probably in one of those directions absolutely <laughs> so he didn't have to die right and the predicament that i saw him and i was like yeah okay he's gonna swing back and then he's just like he's like like, like <laughs> carry two on. minutes later they're walking across whatever. a bridge that's like right next to the thing that he was like hanging on right next to him <laughs> right next to him <laughs> like you could have like just reached over and he could have grabbed it you know, like austin powers is is he's he's like driving the bulldozer mm-hmm. thingy with the the giant wheel yeah. and then the, there's the guy standing in front of it like ah! and then austin powers is like you can get out of the right. way <laughs> <laughs> you can just move and yeah i don't know so that's what I felt about him dying like that, which was kind of lame. But um, yeah, what else have I got? I thought I saw another good note. Oh yeah, what's the the preacher throughout the whole movie is being a huge dick to the police officer mm-hmm. constantly. But the weird thing is that the police officer is almost always just like, "All right, yeah, we'll do it your way." Yeah, <laughs> pretty much always. <laughs> Even when they have that moment where like. Like, the preacher goes off to find a pathway, mm-hmm. and they just have to wait for him, like, 15 minutes. 
the cop's like, okay, well, it's been 17 minutes. We should go now. Well, I think and then that, everybody's that like, plays no, into his character. Just give him another that minute. That plays into his character. Like he's he's all he's all this he's big bronze and brass, but he but he's not he's truly not you know he's not a leader. He's not he's not a risk taker because even at the end when um what's his face Mister Mrs Mr Rosen or like the uh, the gay character um no Mister Martin was like. You know, you're a coward. All you do is complain. Well, well, like that shows that, like, you know, he wasn't the leader of that group until he truly needed to be at the end. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying strictly from like an archetype standpoint, mm -hmm. if he's supposed to be representative of like police or whatever right. and like their false ability to, uh, ability to lead. I just think it's funny how every time they confronted him uh, with like, like, no, we're going to do it this way. He's just like, yeah, OK. No, okay. <laughs> he didn't really like fight back because no. you got that moment where they're like like it's been 17 minutes and he's not back yet and the guy's like look everybody we agreed 17 mm -hmm. he's he gave him 15 minutes it's been 17 minutes we gotta go and everybody's like just give him another and then minute the girl's like running in like <laughs> he said i should wait <laughs> yeah but then he shows up and he's like ha I told, I told you I'd do it. Uh, Gene Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah, yeah Gene Hackman comes in. He's so like so arrogant. He whips in that, out in that, that scene. That big dick energy. Yeah. He's like, I've seen it, Rogo. <laughs> I did it. I told you, and it's and Rogo's just like, oh, yeah, he's right. Okay, let's go with him. He didn't like have a prideful moment of mm -hmm. like, like yeah, well, fuck you anyways. He just went along with it, you mm -hmm. know, which was very reasonable. <laughs> so being toted as like the police officer who's hot headed and brash. I mean, he's always just. Like the the preacher Hackman, he's always he's telling him like, now go, you know, help them up the stairs. Always and me, always we, board, board just, He's just like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. He just does it. Of course, he yeah, he has that little grumbling, but he does he he does it, you know. Right. So, police that like power trip over their own thing. I, it was just funny to see him like. He was just taking shit the whole movie. Taking shit the whole movie. And not really saying much, you know? Except for that one explosive part where his wife dies and he blames it all on, you know, Hackman. But, <clears throat> yeah. I just thought it was funny. Because it was right around the time when, when his wife falls off the edge and and Hackman's... Somebody, somebody's giving him shit for something. I think it was uh, Red Buttons mm -hmm. giving him shit. And I'm just like, everybody's constantly giving this guy shit. What the fuck? His wife just you know? died. And he's not even... <laughs> Yeah, he's just which by the way they like did not hold anything back as far as like there was a couple scenes where like probably like at the time and even now like they show her life like if you look close enough they show her lifeless body in the middle of the fire pit. You talk about with uh, Linda. Linda, yeah, when she falls like they show like yeah. a body being burnt. Yeah, well, it was just a dummy. Yeah. I mean, there were a few times when I saw dummies on the set where I was like. I see your cardboard hand, right, motherfucker? Or uh, yeah, there's like I also like <laughs> there's like campy scenes that like make me laugh. One of them is like when he's like swimming through, and there's like like they're swimming through the to the engine room, and like there's just like that dead body like floating, and he just kind of like casually pushes it out of the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you remember that scene? Not not off the top of my head now. I don't remember if it was Gene or um, Ernest, but like I think it was Gene. Like there was he was swimming through the first time with the rope, and like there's just like a dead body like floating in the water, and he just like just does this casual push of the body like out of the way, and this the body just like goes like, and it just makes yeah. me laugh every single time. 
<laughs> get out of here. <laughs> it's like, get out of my way. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, it happens. These things are right in front of your yeah. face. But, um, yeah, so one thing that I always mm-hmm. do whenever – I remember this starkly from when I was a child and I was watching, like, a clip of this movie. Um, when, Whenever somebody does, like, a dive scene, mm-hmm. I always hold my breath. Interesting. You're kind of, like, in it I with always, them. I always – yeah, I was <gasps> – I caught like, myself can I do it, too. you know? Yeah, I couldn't, by the way. Not for Gene Hackman's mm-hmm. first dive. For the other dives, I totally could have. But that's because Gene Hackman's dive was bullshit. He would have fucking drowned. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Especially, like, you have to... Like, holding your breath while you're sitting and watching a movie is one thing. But then you're exerting yourself is another thing. He's swimming and up and down that, corridors. I'm the only one here trained to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got a piece of metal falling on him and keeping him pinned. Yeah. So that's going to compress him and probably squeeze some air out of By him. By the way, that metal that a metal that size out of water is fucking heavy underwater yeah. like there's no way this woman like just swims through and just like <laughs> lifts that thing up yeah i wonder what they used as a set piece for that scene I wonder, yeah maybe it was like, like that piece foam was. or something yeah it would need to, to operate in the water as, right, a, as foam a heavy piece float. of material though yeah it's interesting unless they had it like weighted down foam mm. so like foam in the middle and then on the end they had like a couple of you know small weights to keep yeah. it down or something and then i had it on a hinge at the end of it i don't know but yeah no i, I was like I, it reminds me of fear factor mm-hmm. whenever i see scenes like that which i think there's a few things in this movie that i think fear factor drew from mm. to make their show more compelling because yeah one of the aspects of this movie b- being that the characters are kind of like flat or whatever mm-hmm. um and then you're supposed to project yourself into their situation and think like you know would i be able to survive or like would i listen to authority um yeah, the, the one of the immersive facts of this movie is that you put yourself into their shoes. Mm. So I think Fear Factor did that a whole lot, where it's like, if driven to the edge, would you make it? Right. No. So what other campy things that I love from like movies of this, like disaster films of this era, is yeah, is men doing like the chivalrous thing whenever there's like a dead body. They're always throwing their they're like they're always taking their jacket off and like throwing it over the face like the face of the dead person happens like four or five times yeah. in this film and it's hilarious and it happens in like every disaster film of that era like oh, I gotta put the jacket on top of the dead body well i think that's part of the melodrama of really trying to press home the fact like this is a dead body mm-hmm. oh because like they can only make it look so real mm-hmm. like they just got some face paint or whatever like now we can like make it look like somebody has literally their fucking head blown right. off with digital editing and stuff but back then they like to get you out of like the literal visual of somebody being dead there they need to put you through this psychological aspect of like processing that somebody's dead so that and they have to hide the terrible special effects right well there's that one jump there's like one only one jump scene in the entire movie like when they're in they're going through the kitchen and like the girl jumps into jean she's like ah and it like it flashes to like the dead guy like like that and yeah. gene hackman like i think that a characteristic of the time yeah characteristic of the time um i think uh, like a lot of people say like the exorcist is like the scariest movie they've ever seen mm-hmm. or like they quote the shining is like the scariest movie they've ever seen and i think the thing between those movies and movies nowadays are that a lot of things do um even if they are psychologically based in horror they rely a lot on at least several jump scares mm-hmm. throughout the film whereas films like this 
do a really great job of portraying the psychology of a situation mm-hmm. because they can't lean on jump jump scares and stuff. No. They can't they couldn't they needed to like immerse you in the situation because that's that's how they made their 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 bread and bread and butter. Yeah. They had to, you know, bring you into the psychology of, of what you would go through if, if being here. So that's definitely of these older films. I well, love even that. like I love that about the Twilight water Zone. as like a device of like suspense. Like there's scenes where like the water's rushing in and it's like, you know, when they're trying to get up the upside down stairs or like when Gene has to go back and find the boy, like the water's coming in and like you're like you're like you're like, get the fuck out of there. Close that door. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, from from my perspective, because I hadn't seen this movie I didn't really remember anything about this movie or watching it this time through. Um, th- there was definitely like a lot of tension that I thought was really great. That I was like, oh, come on. Get going. Get going. Mm-hmm. Get up the ladder. What are you doing? Stop having a panic attack and blah, you know? So, yeah. I, li- I, liked, I liked that aspect. Also, yeah. Well, they were, everybody was... <laughs> oh, that's... Yeah. Aside from like everybody constantly just like touching like like the lady folk and grabbing their face and pairing mm-hmm. off with people that are twice their age more a little bit more <laughs> no just about twice their age anyway um besides all that there was this one scene where i think it was red buttons uh it was after hackman falls to his death mm-hmm. and then everybody's having like you know their freak out and then um i think they're the the, the two kids are like the shelly kids or something yeah the um, shelby kids let me hang on Susan Shelby and um, Robin Shelby. Are the kids. Yeah, so Susan, the girl in her, in her hot pants. Yeah. Hot pants. Yes. <laughs> they call hot pants. I like them. But anyway, um, she's freaking out. She's like hysterical because, you know, the preacher just died. And she's like, ah. And then uh, Red Button slaps her. Oh, yeah. He slaps he her fucking like slaps dead her. across the face. <laughs> fucking hard. And so, like, I saw that. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Like... And all these women, they're just, like, hysterical. And they're always freaking out. And, like, they can't handle Ah! And then, bam! <laughs> That's always a thing. Get, get a hold of yourself. Like... Well, they make fun of that in um, an airplane. That's a famous scene in the movie Airplane where they, like, you know, I'll take care of this. Like, Everybody and they lines the gun up. And they get the yeah. bats. And, like, <laughs> they're yeah. totally calling, calling people out for that whole thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of after I saw this. I was like, I was like, well, oh, you just fucking slapped her, and then I was like, oh wait, right, airplane. Yeah, they totally, they totally. Made <laughs> that's fun what of that, that scene's yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. I was like, and it was kind of like a subtle like side thing too. It wasn't like center screen like he slaps her and then like he's like get out of it. It was like kind of a, kind of a weird like like in the process of going through a scene shot. And he's, he's like not holding back. He's like weird. Susan, get a hold of yourself. He's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> smack and the brother's just yeah. like oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> well what's he gonna do he's a little kid mm-hmm. but it's not gonna go fist fight the, the other guy that and she was freaking out i don't know i'm not sure mm-hmm. like was, i'm sure people would lock up in this situation I, I, like it, it was all women it was pretty much just a bunch of bros like leading woman well only two females survive it's um four men including the boy and two women who survive Okay, other thing that um, is interesting about not only, like, stories, but, like, films and, and all mm. this stuff. If you're going to get massive funding um, for a film like this, which this, like, didn't get crazy amounts mm-hmm. of funding. But still, um, in order for it to be, like, approved, especially by, like, um, I, I can't remember the, 
the name of the rating system that uh it, which was not so much established at the time oh but, yeah, yeah yeah but you could literally be kicked out of hollywood like if your movies didn't fit a certain criteria did this um, even have a, a rating on it i'm sure it was probably pg or something what was it i'm trying to look at it so yeah pg i can't remember the years there were the 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 rating system like slowly developed around this time i think the difference between what we consider R now mm-hmm. would have been NC-17 back then. Well, I mean, yeah, I think, weirdly, this sh- should have been, like, I, I I don't know, like, PG is kind of on the on the line because there's a lot of... Well, at that... There's death, there's this swearing. At this current time, yeah, there's, there's risque. There's one person's, you know, there's, like, sex workers and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but at this time, there was no in between. There was like either PG or R. There was no That's PG right. thirteen. That's right, PG because PG thirteen yeah. didn't exist. So I think maybe had this been made later or that rating, exi- this probably is closer to a PG thirteen rating. Definitely, yeah, I'd say PG thirteen. Touch boundaries and whatever. Nobody because like, but Back um, to the Future is PG thirteen, and that's like way less risque and way less swears than this movie is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it falls into a weird time because the seventies were when people were starting to experiment with like independent films mm-hmm. and like there was a lot of shit. Like I, I watched a movie recently, uh, Coming Home, which has like a straight up like you could see you see boobies mm-hmm. and stuff. Like there's a straight up sex scene. Um and stuff like that started around the seventies mm-hmm. and it fell into this weird area of like like because coming home is a very like it's a sensitive movie about, um, you know, uh, veterans coming back from the war and like, what do I do now that I've, ha- I've fought this whole war that didn't mean fucking anything. And, you know, we lost it. And now my character and identity are completely fucked. And I, I was told I was supposed to murder people, but now I'm home and I've got, you know, I'm crippled and stuff. So it's a very like intelligent, sensitive movie. And then they throw in like some things that um, are very tastefully done. Like there's a sex scene, mm-hmm. very tastefully done. Uh, sex scene with a crippled dude too, which doesn't happen very much even by today's standards. So that was cool. So good representation. But um, yeah, the seventies were a great time of like pushing certain boundaries. Uh, well, of course you've got a lot of B films that push boundaries just for the sake of pushing mm-hmm. boundaries. But there's a lot of independent media out there that like didn't give a shit about Hollywood's rating system, mm. uh, and in this anti-authority vibe would just kind of do what they were doing, and then they would worry about it later. Yeah, I mean, it's know? all political. I mean, so. you don't the lower the rating you get the more people can see it so i mean the difference there's a lot of times that plays into the cuts that people make in movies so like your director's cut they might they might say like i there's a i don't can't remember any of them off the top of my head but there's a bunch of famous films that were like this is going to be nc-17 which basically guarantees you're not gonna make any money from it and all the scenes that they have to cut to make it down yeah. get it down to r or r to pg-13 yep yeah it's funny when you like there's a weird like relationship between like like when i see the scenes or like when i hear like what scene was cut and why i go like well that's stupid mm-hmm. but if you really think about it like a lot of times one word does make all the difference especially doing like for for instance comedy mm-hmm. you understand that like like a punchline with one word as opposed to a punchline with another word can either make an entire room fucking hate your guts mm-hmm. or like laugh uncontrollably. Yep. It's one word makes all the difference. So then you, you like you look at the cuts and be like, like, oh, well, this movie would have been fine if they just left that in. But you just don't know. Right. Like maybe maybe it is like generally better received if they just didn't push a certain kind of boundary. And then other times they'll leave something in 
that like like they were thinking about taking out, but they were like, no, we'll leave it in. And then there's like a scene where somebody like blows off somebody's head, and they they, they say like like suck. Well, that's the, that's the thing. So like I wa- there's a it was a very interesting documentary a bunch of years ago that I watched, and it was about the differences between European movies and American movies, and how we have a higher tolerance for violence, but not sexuality, and sexuality often. Yeah. Like sex in a movie often garners you a a much higher, much more strict rating than violence does. Like like you said, you could literally photograph, um, I mean, or like you know, someone getting shot in the head, and that could go into a movie and it'd be radio radio R. But you know, there's that fine line between you know you know what sex what sex in a movie is and what you know maybe a porn is. But that line is a lot smaller yeah. in, a, in in the European market. Yeah. Uh, Another thing that's weird about uh, American cinema and European cinema is, like, the frame cuts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, psychologically, if we watch foreign films, like, you know, some part of us might be like, oh, this is boring because the shots are generally... I think American cinema is, like, five seconds per, per, like, frame. Mm -hmm. Or not frame, but, like, per shot. And then uh, for European (laughs) films, like, they they generally have more drawn-out shots. Right. More, like, thoughtful, philosophical feels to them, so... Yeah, I don't know. That's it's all weird. But what I was gonna say though <clears throat> is uh, movies that were being produced uh, in this time, or it, just movies in general, they always have to have mm-hmm. certain aspects that make sure that you get you know published or passed like a board thing. And one of those conditions uh, is that despite all of the anti-authority vibes that were in this film and present, the end of the film, they get saved by an authority figure. Mm-hmm. They they get saved by like the coast guard or something. So regardless of like, oh, I see like, because they, they got like Coast Guard is yeah. like you know it's an established authority. Yeah, it's the it's the government. So so the the film is willing to say like don't listen to like the ship captain, don't li- let's listen to like the purser, don't listen to like all the people that are telling you no. But at the end of all of it, the only reason that they got saved mm-hmm. was because of authority coming down to save them. Yes. So a strong, I think a strong condition of like the ending of this film and like it not being fucked with by, by a higher powers or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, is that in the end of the film they still get saved by authority. Saved by authority. Should we talk about other movies yeah. that came out the exact same year, just as like con- contextualize it? What are you thinking? I mean, if it's relevant. no, I'm not gonna. Like, we're not gonna deep dive, <laughs> but just you know, just to give you an idea, like this movie also came out the same year as The Godfather, same year as Deli- Deliverance. Okay, yeah. Two like very good films. Um, Conquest, one of the Planet of the Apes films. I mean, that's those are the two big names. You know, Deliverance and Godfather both came out the same year as this film. Yeah, and considering that it did win awards uh, mm-hmm. in comparison with these films, yeah. So I mean, there's a that's lot of good films. You know, you think about that like go up against big blockbuster films like that, and like they don't get the recognition down the road until till down the yeah. road. Yeah, I've, 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 on The Godfather, like, I have this weird, I don't really love the movie, mm-hmm. um, and I fall into, uh, a different category of people, but I've been, there's, like, people that I've talked to that fucking love The Shining, mm-hmm. and I am pretty vocal about how I don't like The Shining, okay. but there's different people with different priorities, mm-hmm. so some people will swear by The Shining, like, as, like, their favorite horror movie of all time, um, and for me, not so much. But I think one of the things that I didn't take into consideration is that for me, I, like wanting to be like a writer of books and stuff, I prioritize plot 
and characterization pretty much all the time. So when I see something like The Godfather, Godfather has so many different elements where at this current point in time, it's kind of like, it's just a mafia story. Mm-hmm. I could watch, you know, like... Careful now. Fucking... Um, Italian. Italian American. breaking my hat. You're breaking my hat to Jimmy. <laughs> Shoot me. Breaking <laughs> my heart on the day of my daughter's wedding. Uh, oh, dude, he, he was incredible. Oh, in Marlon Brando? Um, Phenomenal. Yeah. And you watch, like, earlier roles and stuff, and you're like, like I only associate him with uh, being the godfather. Well, I... But, you know... Yeah. Godfather and uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Like, that's... He's in that. Yeah. Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> the more that I technically analyze films, the more that I understand what mm-hmm. kind of a gem uh, The Godfather is. It's still fucking three hours long, and that's much longer than I want to spend watching that kind of a film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like this movie was two hours long, and that was, that was still a little intimidating. But I like I don't know. I would I I tried to watch The Godfather several times, and I kept falling asleep during like the wedding part of the film. Really? And I gave up for uh, on it for like a full like several years. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, I, I was able to sit through the entire thing. But it's like with like the the sets are lush and beautiful, and like the miking, it's great. The acting is fucking stellar. Oh. Uh, and as far as action goes for that time. All of it, yeah. It's it's a it's a much better movie than I have given it credit for in the past. But the more that I technically technically analyze films, the more I'm I'm having respect for aesthetic presence and like the filmography uh, as things to respect aside from like the plot and whatnot. So funny aside, but yeah. So uh. So this has been good. This it's been, been good. Fun. What would you rate the film? You never give me like a full like. Are you, are you there? I'm here. You're, you're cutting, I think. I don't know. Oh. And your face is frozen too. You keep, your face keeps freezing in the funniest positions. Well, anywho. Um, I wanted your rating on this film. As far as like. I like this film. It's not one of my favorites, but it's definitely like. It's a I would rewatch this film. Okay. I, I did like this film. And I do think that. Um. As much as I, as I kind of shit on it just now, like throughout the the pro, like it's it's, no, it's not something that I took it. super seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of elements that are like strictly comedy, but I think that like for being an hour and fifty minutes or like a two hour film, mm-hmm. I thoroughly was engaged. Yeah. Throughout the film, and it did not feel like two hours. No. It, and there it, are other movies that you you know it feels you can feel every minute the the film's going on, but this film ran through for me, which mm-hmm. yeah, I liked it. Uh, do there were some quotes that I wrote down from other uh, reviewers that I resonated with. What did um? Uh, what did uh? What's his face? Ebert give this film. He said uh, something along the lines of, like, it's trash. But good trash. But you got to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, that, that was one of them. The other one. Uh, the special effects, the genuinely remarkable production value uh, values and tech, technical wizardry uh, sweep everything aside. Uh, are the characters as gaudy and thin as cereal boxes? Is the dialogue uh, banal and shrill? Is the moralizing heavy-handed and relentless? Is the hokum a bit thick, even in the context of showman of a showmanship special? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, but who cares? 
I didn't write down who fucking said that, so I'm, I'm a little iffy about having used it. By the way, like that was a pretty great summary. Like, like the special effects were, you know, bar none. It was still great. And if you mm-hmm. watch inter- uh, interviews and like and you know, stuff about the production, and you realize that those are all real fucking fires mm-hmm. and like real explosions, and it's all real water. Then yeah, it's it's easy to very quickly uh, garner respect for all the special effects that went into the film, mm-hmm. and it makes me want to rewatch it to part part the pieces that are are like practical effects because right. that's nuts. Um, so I'd easily watch this film again, but I mean, and I I wouldn't even want to tell people like like oh well if you want a, a good film to you know can't be filmed to shit on, because um, it's fun in that respect too. Uh, people were comparing it to uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I don't think it holds up to that, but no. Um, but yeah, it's still it's it's got immense uh, rewatchability. Oh yeah, I've um, watched it a couple times. Um, like I said, like you can watch it either way. You can watch it for like what it is, you know, disaster film from the 1970s, or you can go in and watch it like with the mindset of it being campy, and it's great either way. Whatever mindset you put yourself into. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was very uh, universal and stuff. As far as people that I would recommend this to. I think it has enough of, of all worlds where I think it's a, ge- a good general view. I think people mm-hmm. in general would like this film. Even if you like you you like you don't like older films, you probably still would enjoy this film, right. you know? Well, it's the thing like my dad said like he he was 15 years old when this film came out. So like that was a cool film for him to go and like go to the theater with his buddies and go watch, you know? Mhm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I I still think it holds up. I think it uh I think so too. Holds weight. So so in in my recommendation, I I usually do like a five minute mm-hmm. um, summary of the movie and whatever okay. before I start the episode, and I'll probably say something along the lines of like, just fucking watch it, tool, you know, <laughs> like like just watch it, because yeah. I mean we're all in quarantine anyway, we fucking like just we're not doing it. You got two hours, just watch this movie. Just watch the movie. It's a good movie. It's a great, and movie. it will easily pass by those two hours. You'll probably can make right a good it. drinking game out of it. Like every time there's something campy go on or something like you know sassy, you like take a drink, you know. Probably well, good. that's half the charm of campy movies in general. Because yeah. me and Kurt, um, I have a friend named Kurt Jenny. He'll be on the show eventually. Uh, but we both have a friend named Kurt Jenny. We're both friends with him. I have a friend named Kurt Jenny. Mm-hmm. Jeremy also happens to have a friend named Kurt Jenny. Different Kurt Jennys, like totally different. <laughs> no, it happens to be the same Kurt Jenny. I, it is the same Kurt Jenny. <laughs> anyway, um, we used to watch a movie called. Uh, wet hot american summer okay the original and the sequel and i'm not even going to explain it just google wet hot american summer um knowing just knowing the two personalities of both of you i can only imagine what i'm about to get myself into with this jesus christ it was (laughs) it's so terribly great and there's so many inconsistencies like there's there's scenes where uh it'll show a character like outside like, they'll be inside of the cabin looking out at the character standing in the doorway. Mm-hmm. And behind him, it'll be raining. Like, pouring rain out. And then it'll be another shot from behind the character looking into the cabin from outside. And it'll be a sunny day. <laughs> so this is, like, bad production and value. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. So we, we watched, like, part of the movie, like, a quarter of the movie. And we were, like, we were spending, like, so much time being, like, wait, what the fuck? Hold on. One second. Yeah, like, <laughs> back up. Back up, yeah. Yeah, back up, and then we'd see something. We'd be like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> and then um, it was it was got so bad by like by like like 
two like one third of the way through the film that we were like dude we just gotta drink every time we catch something that's like hold on wait a second we gotta we gotta have a drink like this a chug you know yeah and we got thoroughly drunk by the end oh yeah that's that's a good so, one uh that's a good I also didn't notice, did you that notice the uh continuity issue the big 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 continuity issue in the side adventure no so the ship sinks at midnight and it takes uh. them about two hours to uh get through the ship and get to the propeller shaft and they escape during the middle of the fucking day that is a good point other fun fact they said that the lights would all turn off in the ship mm-hmm. after three hours after three hours yeah and the lights were all on so. lights were all on and they made another sequel for that like lasts another two hours inside the ship <laughs> oh hollywood yes yeah well, yeah, no, it's it's anyway. Um, it's been fun. It's been great. Thanks for we're, having we're, me. We're at we we I think we've thoroughly thoroughly, thoroughly fleshed this out. Uh, have you? Do you have anything else? Anything no, else I mean say? I am a big fan of these films. I would recommend this film. Um, I personally to you, Kyle. Like, if you want another good uh, disaster Owen Allen film, like he goes bigger and badder in uh, Towering Inferno with uh, Paul Newman and Stephen McQueen. Um, that one sit down because that's three hours like three oh. solid hours is that film is that film yeah that's so, what happens after after you prove yourself with the two-hour film mm-hmm. then people are willing to fund your three-hour film yeah and that movie was even bigger and badder than this one as far as like and he had like twice the budget. special effects yeah yeah. yeah um is there anything you'd want to plug like uh your photography stuff um yeah i do photography you guys can check that out but if you want I do have an Instagram. It's my just Jeremy Cangiano. Check that out. It's private, but is you can it, follow. Is it at at Jeremy at Cangiano? Jeremy Cangiano. Yes, you can do that. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. That's. I guess this is over. I guess, I guess it's over. We're, we're finished. I guess we're done here. We're done here. How do you want to send it off? Um, I'm Jeremy. I'm Kyle. And this is. Not film school. <laughs>